What's up, everyone, and welcome back to the third episode of Michi Gang Sports. I'm your host, Zach, and I am so excited to announce with me for the first time ever a co-host or a guest, my good friend, Cole. How are you doing, Cole? Doing wonderful, wonderful, coming off of a very exciting weekend in Michigan, at least collegiate sports for some of us. Per the usual, uh, not as exciting in the professional realm, but uh, it was a great time. How was uh, your experience of the Michigan Mission State? Game? It was a lot. It was a lot of fun. Um, probably one of the craziest atmospheres I've ever been. Um, haven't seen Spartan Stadium like that in probably five plus years since the real um, great years of D'Antonio back in 2013 through 2016 before he went downhill <laughs> pretty quickly. Collapse. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he, he definitely, his last like two years weren't great, but it was a, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, the professional sports in Michigan, not, not good. Cade Cunningham, not doing very well. The Red Wings, not very good. But hey, you know, at least we have good college football teams. We do. We have at least two. I'm not that uh, up-to-date on Central, Western, and Eastern. But um, talk to because you went to game day. You were down there for game day. I didn't actually go. We went, uh, the group that I was with went to Cedar Village to the Barstool thing. I didn't go to game day. Was game day a pretty good time? Yeah, it was a pretty good time. There was, um, a, there was quite a few people. We got there about... 10.30, so now like the start of it. So we got up there pretty close. It was really interesting, though. Um, they had like a bunch of like flags there, but there was three flags of, of Washington State, like not even MSU, like just Washington oh. State, like Clemson, which makes me think that either someone decided to bring three Washington State flags or they're like, hey, we're just going to give these long poles to fans of Washington State flags. Could be. Yeah, well, from because uh, obviously I wasn't in the stadium, but I watched after the fact for the Corso pick, so I wanted to see who he picked, and no surprise he picked Michigan because of MSU won. But um, I saw that they made the pick from within the stadium. It wasn't at the game day booth, which I think is generally where they do that from. Um, I saw pictures online that I think either Barstool or Portnoy, or Portnoy shared, um, and it was like the, the aerial shot of like Cedar Village where Barstool was, um, where game day was and where Big Noon kickoff was. And there were, it seemed, at least from the picture, and I don't know when the picture was taken or whatever, but it seemed like there weren't a ton of people at the Big Noon kickoff or game day. But at Cedar Village for Barcelona, it was just a riot. It was insane. Yeah, talk about um, that. I didn't, I didn't go there. I was kind of wanting to, but it was so off campus yeah. that I'm like, we already had other like a tailgate already planned and yeah talk about Barstool I heard there's some beers thrown at Dave Portnoy's <laughs> direction just because he's a Michigan fan but I've I heard it was I heard it was awesome it was um a testament to me getting older because it was loud and there was a lot of people and I felt out of my element because everybody looked a lot younger than me but um it was a great time so Portnoy came out obviously decked in his Michigan gear because he's a U of M grad um, flipped off the crowd, had some fun yucking it up, talking about how people who go to MSU to just people that couldn't get into Michigan, which there's a lot of validity to that. <laughs> um, but yeah, they it just it was definitely chaos, and it was um, 
it was the way that they had it set up is it was between apartment buildings. So there were people standing up on the balconies of the apartment buildings, like the, you know, the deck, whatever you want to call it. Um, so you'd have like 50 people in a deck that's the size of two of these couches, just crammed like this, watching things like sardines. Um, but it was fun. It, it, was, it really was. There was a very unique, very collegiate energy, very R-rated energy to Barstool, as opposed to what I'm assuming the college game day set was more of. Um, but no, it was, it was fun. I'm glad we went. It's, it was ridiculous getting in and out of campus because just traffic's insane. Um, you, you basically can't, it, it just was insane. Like we, we went to Cedar village and Cedar village is probably a good two miles, at least from the stadium. So it's probably about a half hour walk to get over there. Um, but yeah, just insanity of a day. Yeah. Um, I think we got to East Lansing probably about eight thirty. Nine and um, we ended up parking probably a mile, mm-hmm. maybe a little over a mile away from even the stadium. And there was already like a line that was taking so long that we're like, either we're gonna have to turn here or we're gonna have to wait in line just because of like, like you said, how busy the traffic was. Like, literally, ev- everyone in the state of Michigan, it seemed like, was, he- was in East Lansing on Saturday just because. Which it's good reason you have, mm-hmm. you have big noon kickoff. You have game day. You have Barstool, and you have. I think this is like. It's been a long time since I think it's been since like the sixties since Michigan and MSU have both been ranked in the top ten. And yeah, it was absolute chaos. Honestly, I think it would have been cooler if they would have made it a night game. I get why they didn't, because I think had it been a night game, it just gives people more time to drink and die of alcohol poisoning but (laughs) but um i think that just for like the logistics sake of you know less crammed into you know everybody's waking up at 5 a.m to try to get there early to do whatever i think that if you have less of that that maybe it could have uh potentially reduced the traffic a little bit but regardless it was it was a great a great game it was a blast i um, I'm not gonna lie. After Andrew Anthony caught that first long touchdown, I was like, "Oh boy, <laughs> this might yeah. be a long day." Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely agree. But ima- imagine that game, day before Halloween, a night game. That would be the most like epic and crazy atmosphere. Like I'm not saying that that noon kickoff wasn't that, but just imagine like eleven eleven o'clock, like ten or eleven. MSU is down. The 16 they were, fans were probably going to still be tired, but you could just, like, you could hear, like, after they scored the first touchdown, you could just hear life coming back into the crowd. And I couldn't imagine what, like, people that weren't at the game were hearing because when MSU tied it up, um, tied it up 30 to 30. 30 to 30. Yeah. That whole that whole place erupted. Like I almost sure. guarantee you, people have probably heard it at least a mile a mile away, and they probably knew what was going on. Yeah, no, it was it was a great time. I mean, it was a ridiculous atmosphere just to even be a part of. But um, but no, I I think that it, the game is very indicative of the way that at least Michigan football has performed in a lot of big moments under Harbaugh. Um, you know, they, there have been plenty of very important games against good teams they've gotten into where they've gotten a lead and they've established themselves early and looked really sharp. And then in the second half, they start to play very conservative and they really start to play not to lose. Um, 
And any time that you do that, in my own opinion, it really just greatly increases the chances that you do lose. Um, turn the ball over, a lot of punts, a lot of red zone field goals. Uh, I mean, what, they had like 600 yards of total offense or something like that? At least 500. Yeah, that, I think 550. But that that's average for Michigan State's yeah. defense. If you want to know like the definition of bend but don't break it's completely MSU's defense now what I'm scared of is that once it eventually breaks we're going to be talking about like 60 plus points on that MSU defense which that's going to be in Columbus in a few weeks uh, oh oh apps probably yeah, yeah but um this game was actually kind of like the exact opposite of what you thought it would be you I know we talked before a game and you're like I think MSU's going to come out early mm-hmm. get like a 10, 14 point lead and um, then blow in the second half, which I'm like, I could have definitely seen that. That's something that would have happened under D'Antonio, at least in his cap. Well, that's the way that they've done it all season is they usually jump out like they, you know, the Nebraska game, definitely the Western Kentucky game. Um, Like they've had a lot of those spots where they start super strong and then they really don't finish strong and they're kind of just holding on at the end of the game. So I assume that's probably how this was going to go, but it was, yeah, the exact opposite. Yeah, I definitely agreed that um, when Andre Anthony scored that 94-yard yard reception for a touchdown, I was definitely really nervous just because, like, the first, like, two plays, like, we stuffed them. And I'm like, okay, I'm like, we're going to make Cade throw, which was one of my, like, I didn't do, like, a podcast before that I should have, but, like, one of my, like, things that if MSU would have done – that they would have won is sapping Haskins and Corum, mm-hmm. which is exactly what they did. So if you would have told me that they would sap Haskins and Corum, I would be like, MSU would probably win decently by like seven, seven or ten, maybe a little bit more. Yeah. Because I was one of those people that I'm like, Magnamera can't throw. Like he can't make the big, like he can't make the big throw when it comes. But he had. 350, 400, like yeah. 400 yards, which me, I'm, honest, I'm honestly completely wrong about him. Like, he played probably one of like, the best games I've seen him play in a long time. He, he played very well, but I think it's definitely worth noting that MSU's secondary is pretty weak, and they struggle to get a pass rush, especially against premier offensive lines, which I think that Nebraska definitely had a pretty strong offensive line. Um, Michigan's has definitely been the best they've seen yet. And the only time that they were able to get any sort of pressure was by, like, bringing at least two backers, like, rushing six, sometimes rushing seven. Um, And that's not a good sign. And I think that's why moving forward, um, probably not that big of an issue against a team like Penn State, but definitely a team like Ohio State. When you have a number of receivers that are going to be playing in the NFL, you have C.J. Stroud, who is a kid that can sling the rock. Um, if you can't get pressure on him and you allow those deeper down the field routes to develop, it's just going to be a massacre. And I think yeah. like that's the big issue moving forward. So they do pretty well against the run, and I was impressed for the most part with how they did against Corum and Haskins. They had a couple runs um, that were a little sketchy, but for the most part, they did a pretty pretty decent job up front, though. Yeah, definitely. Um, I I think I could count maybe on one hand, maybe two, of how many times MSU sent more than like. Five people. Yeah. J- just because, like, that was honestly, at the game, it was kind of, like, frustrating because McNamara was just hanging out in the pocket yeah. all day. And um, and when you have a secondary that really 
isn't great, and you're forcing them to defend longer, mm-hmm. usually, usually that is not um, a recipe for success. And also when Magnamera just keeps throwing these little dump-off passes to his running backs and his tight ends and picking yeah. up five or six yards, like our coverage on the field wasn't like bad. Like there was, yeah. a, there was a couple that were like blown coverages or more like clever like leverage, but um, it wasn't bad. It was just frustrating to see, like, third and seven, third and eight, coverage is good, and then they throw a dump down to their tight end all and um, just picks yeah, up. Yeah, well, he had a fantastic game. He looked, he looked like an All-American, which I, how much of that has to do with his own skill level and how much it has to do with MSU's secondary and linebackers struggling to cover in space, I'm not entirely sure, but he looked great. Um. Yeah, definitely. Um, MSU's linebackers are definitely not g- great at covering <laughs> in space, especially Crouch. Yeah. Like I, I, I really like Crouch. Like he can hit and he's very good downhill. But once you put him in space, like one on one with a running back or even a tight end, I'm taking that tight end uh, running back probably nine out of ten times. No offense to Crouch if he's ever listening to this, but. Yeah. Buddy, you're 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 not great at coverage. Yeah, no, that's that's very fair. That's a fair assessment. Um, and then you have Cal Halliday that where that wears no gloves, no no gloves, <laughs> no tape, no anything. I swear they talk about that like five or six times every game. Like if you want the definition of like an old school football linebacker, just look at Cal Halliday. He's like Toby Gerhardt if, to- if Toby Gerhardt played linebacker. They used to play running back for Stanford, that guy. That's what he is. Yeah, but he's good. Like, yeah. He's honestly by far our best linebacker. Isn't he a true freshman? Yeah, he's a freshman. Which is wild. Yeah, um, a lot of people weren't expecting him to start early, and then he got the start at middle linebacker. Like, MSU has had a long history of really good middle linebackers. Like, going back to the Bulls, like you mm-hmm. had Max and... Riley Bola, yeah. and um, you could go all the way back to like Greg Jones. Greg Jones mm-hmm. early on. Greg Jones. Um, trying to think of Simmons last year. Yeah, Simmons was a really good, good linebacker. Um, I do definitely miss the no fly zone secondary though. I definitely <laughs> the, the, that 2013 defense is pro- I I just want to say that's like one of the best. That's up there with that Georgia defense this year. They they were very, very good. That would have been interesting to see that year if because uh, it was obviously the last year of the BCS. And if they would have had the playoff structure, if they would have been able to hang with like Kelvin Benjamin and the Florida State receivers that year, that would have been a, a fun game to watch for I, sure. To this day, I honestly think that if MSU were a guy in that national championship, MSU would have won to this day. You might be right. You might be right. That that Auburn team was pretty darn good. They had Trey Mason, um, obviously Jameis and Calvin Benjamin. I think Delvin Cook was on that team too for Florida State. Um, I think Delvin Cook was a baby though. I don't think that he was really the main guy at that point yet. But that Florida State team had some future NFL talent for sure. Yeah, I saw a post and it's like who would who would win one on one this year's offense for MSU. Or that 2013 defense, and I'm like 2013. <laughs> I'm like, no, I yeah. love this offense. It's an explosive offense, probably one of the best offenses we've had in like 10 years. Yep. But like, that defense was scary. They were very good, very very good. 
Imagine if we had an offense that year. Imagine yeah. if Andrew Maxwell wasn't our quarterback. Well, they had Connor Cook. Oh yeah, yeah, that, that, later, they yeah. they did pretty well. Um, I think that they had Maxwell in that Notre was it Notre Dame they lost. That was their one yeah. loss at Notre Dame. Yeah, that yeah. that game makes me upset. Like, there's no way we lose. And then years years later. Um, Cousins, when he was the quarterback, MSU was undefeated and went into Iowa mm-hmm. and got absolutely curb stomped in Iowa. And then, By like 30 plus, yeah. I remember yeah, that. And then I think we only lost one game that year. Yeah. One or two. One or two. Yeah, that might have been the year that we lost to Wisconsin in the. Well, no, I think that was maybe the year before that. But whatever, it was right in that time period. But um, let's talk about Kenneth Walker. Let's talk about whether or not he's actually going to win the Heisman this year. I think it all depends on. How he does these next five games? Because I looked at the stat, I saw some stats. Uh, they were comparing the first eight games between Kenneth Walker and Derrick Henry when Derrick Henry won his Heisman, mm-hmm. and um, Kenneth Walker has more yards, same amount of touchdowns, mm-hmm. and which means he should win it. But I also saw a comment in his last five games. Derrick Henry went for like 900 plus yards. Yeah. Like, if, if Kenneth Walker does that, he should be the Heisman winner. What I'm worried about is he can't have those, he can't have a Nebraska game or he can't have an Indiana game anymore. Like, he's going to have to probably, he's going to have to at least get over 100 yards a game to have a, okay. to have a chance to win it. I think, I honestly think he's probably gotten, I don't want to say, I'm going to say, like, clinch. I think he goes to New York. Yeah, I because, agree. Because unless someone just starts balling out, like, there's really not been, like, an EQB. Like, Shroud's been good. Um, Bryce Young. Bryce Young has been good for Michigan. Yep. Carl has been good for all, all He's the, hurt, though, isn't he? I think he might be. Like, there's yeah. been good players this year, but there's not, like, one guy where you're, like, that's a Heisman Trophy. Like Bryce yeah. Young, you could have probably said that three, four weeks in the in the year, maybe a little bit of Kenneth, but yeah. Kenneth Walker's having a his, historic year for MSU. Yeah, no, uh, that's a big reason why I thought that the Michigan MSU game was going to be a lot tighter because I potentially I just misplaced some some faith in Michigan's defense, but I really thought that he was going to struggle a lot more against Michigan than he did. Um, but Michigan State's offensive line played really well, especially uh, you know winning the first two yards there. And once he was able to get to the second level, I mean, all of his runs outside of the one that they punched in for like the one-yard line were longer touchdown runs. And it wasn't like he got to the second and third level of defense and was breaking a bunch of tackles and making people miss. It was just he would get through the line and there'd be no one. I mean, he'd just run until they scored a touchdown on a straight line. Yeah. So I, you're not going to get that. For sure against Ohio State, and you're definitely not going to get that against Penn State. They have two... Even Purdue, maybe. Purdue has a very solid run defense. Yeah, so I think that it's going to be interesting to see how he continues to perform here. I think that if Kenneth Walker has, you know, the the standard 100 yards and a touchdown for the next five games, average across that, I think he has a pretty good chance to win it, especially in the absence of another quarterback um, really playing great down the stretch. Well, I think that as of right now, if I had to put money, I would say Kenneth Walker is probably the favorite and Bryce Young is probably the runner-up at the moment. Yeah. But that could definitely change because Bryce Young obviously has a lot of opportunities. He plays in the SEC. He's going to get to He's going to get to play in front of bigger, 
bigger crowds. Yeah. Like, well, and, and also, and also Bama's... And also make the college football playoff, yes, too. And huge. that was one question. Let's say MSU loses to Ohio State. If they lose to Ohio State, they're not going to the Big Ten championship unless something randomly happens. Um, but can someone win the Heisman without going to the college football playoff is the real question. Well, Lamar Jackson won it without going to the playoff, didn't he? Yeah, but I don't know if there was anyone really like. I mean, he had an incredible out year. Other than, yeah. yeah, I mean, he had he was the golden child of college football that year, so that might be a bit of an outlier. But no, I think that I think that he can win it without going to the playoff. But I think that if they lose like two to three games at down the stretch, I don't think that they can. Because it's important to remember that the Heisman Trophy isn't for the best player in college football. Like, that's, that's not what the description of it is. Um, I think that he has a really good chance to win. Is it the Doak Walker? Is that what the running back award is? I think so. Yeah, like, I think he's, he's definitely the front runner to win that. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's very seldom do you see a Heisman winner coming from a team that's lost. I mean, you sometimes see on a two-loss team, but like a 9-3 and three or an 8-4 and four team, you never, ever, ever see that. Yeah. What did um, Louisville do when I forgot what did Louisville's record when Lamar was there? Did they? I think they lost once, maybe. Once, maybe twice, maybe twice. I think they lost. They lost that year to Clemson and, and Deshaun Watson, and I think that might have been it. Because they had the rematch the following year, lo- which would have been a good team to lose to anyway. Yeah, yeah. Which that was a war, and then the following year they had a war again. Um, but the, yeah, that year they smoked Florida State. I think they beat up on Notre Dame pretty bad too. Well, maybe they didn't play Notre Dame, but. Regardless, this podcast isn't about Louisville football, all right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but, um, yeah, he's been very good. How do you feel about the Tucker hire? Eight years, eight, eight games into his second year. I know there's a lot of controversy going, especially from the media. Mm-hmm. A lot of the people in the sports world were like, what he did was wrong. To leave Colorado to immediately? Leave, yeah, to leave Colorado after saying that he's going to stay. In my opinion, I didn't see anything wrong with it just because in today's sports, in today's college um, athletics, mm-hmm. you got the transfer portal players now, which is going to even grow exponentially more because... More and more players again, like the auto, like the they don't have to stay out a year. Yeah. So players can do that, and also if you're Mel Tucker, you had a good year at Colorado in your first year. If you're him and you have an offer from MSU, like the probably, I don't know what they offered him the first year, but he's I think making about five point five now. But if you're Mel Tucker and you have a chance to go to a school like MSU. With like the facilities of MSU, and I think he has one of the higher budgets in college football for assistants, assistant coaches, yeah. and you're making I think the third or more, fourth or most in the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you I don't know how you turn that down no. with Colorado. Well, I, especially for coaches, I mean it's it's this, the next best job. I mean you're working in the current job you're in to get the next job to get the next job, um, and Colorado, and. You know, not only as a program, but also in the conference they're in, is I would argue a step below a lot of the premier programs in the Big Ten. Um, the Big Ten's probably the the number two conference in college football behind the SEC. 
Um, but no, I mean, MSU is, is a step up, not a huge step up, but it's a step up from Colorado. Um, so what I feel strongly is that he's probably not going to stay at MSU. I really, and, and as much as he's going to say, I'm going to stay, I mean, he has to say he's going to stay. Yeah, That's exactly. a rule. He can't, he can't go, yeah, I'll probably leave after this season. He's probably going <laughs> to do that. So he's going to have to say that. But when USC and LSU call him and they essentially cut him a blank check to come coach their programs, which are both significant steps above MSU football, I'd be very surprised if he didn't take that. And then if he has continued success there, it's just a matter of whether or not he wants to coach in the NFL. Um, and I think if the right franchise in the NFL, if he has success at that top level of college football, if the right franchise were to offer him the job, like let's say maybe Mike Tomlin steps away from the Steelers, um, let's say like the Cowboys job opens up or whatever, but like one of those not garbage franchises, i.e. like the Lions or the Browns Jaguars. or whatever, Jaguars, yeah. If one of those open up and he gets offered there, I would be very surprised if he didn't take that step. And the only reason why he wouldn't take that step is because he doesn't want to coach in the pros. Yeah. See, this is kind of where I disagree with you. I don't think Tucker leaves. At least I don't think he leaves right now. Why wouldn't he leave right now if he's going to leave? Because – His market value is through the roof. Yeah, but also he ha- – the thing is he has his AD. He has Haler, which he wanted right away. He has a brand new facility coming into MSU, multi-million dollar facility. Like I heard, it's real. Like it's going to be insanely nice, and he's also proven that he can recruit wherever he is going. Mm-hmm. And also, MSU, like LSU's brand is probably a little bigger than MSU. It's a lot bit bigger. Yeah, but um, he's at a place. That if he let's say he wins nine to ten games a year, mm-hmm. let's say he peaks out of what D'Antonio did, which was nine, ten, eleven games a year. If he does that for a length of time, people are going to love him. Like people are going to love him. They're going to want to stay there. He might even get a statue, which I think D'Antonio <laughs> might even get. I think D'Antonio might get a statue. He's going. He, he's going. He's going to be in MSU Hall. Hall of Fame. I would agree with that. Yeah, I don't know about maybe not a statue, but it'll be, at a minimum definitely be. Yeah, Hall like Fame. we can talk about how like Dan Antonio like walked away and how a lot of people were upset at him, and I think it's I think it's all right to be upset with him because I think he did really hurt the program. It's, yeah. Walking away. Well, most coaches, even legendary coaches, when they leave the program at the end, it's usually because they're essentially being told you can either resign or we can fire you. You can, like, retire. Um, and it's usually not because the program's in a great place. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, so there's still going to be people upset. But if you ask, like, 99% of Spartan fans, they're going to have, they're going to have um, really good things about to, about to say about Dan Antonio just because of what he did against Michigan. Yes. Like, remember, like, when D'Antonio got hired at MSU, the whole saying of little brother, you could argue, was very true. Like, MSU was doing absolutely nothing yes. against Michigan. And um, then you have the Mike, yeah, the Mike Hart saying little brother. And honestly, like I said, it's true. But um, D'Antonio comes out and basically says, the pride 
comes before the fall, mm-hmm. which I absolutely love that press conference. That's a great press conference. It's a very aggressive press conference. Yeah, I, I definitely yeah. miss that D'Antonio, yeah. like that young D'Antonio. That he's like, okay, like this is like the whole thing of like MSU being the little brothers over, yeah. and this is something we can talk a little bit after this, like. Do you believe the little? Do you believe the little brother is still a thing? Do you think Michigan could kind of cut that out? Because I think it's a little bit. It only serves the benefit of Michigan State for Michigan to keep saying that. Yeah, that's the only Be- thing it does. Because the thing I've realized with Michigan, I'm an MSU fan, so this is probably this is very probably very biased, <laughs> but um, who talks before the games? It seems mm-hmm. like it's it's Michigan. No. It's Michigan players. It's Michigan. Are you talking about Taylor Lewan? I'm talking about Taylor Lewan. <laughs> I'm talking about Braylon Edwards. I'm, you know what? I'm going to do my own little Xavier Henderson after the game and just keep naming all these Michigan mm. players that keep saying Mike Hart keeps saying like Michigan State's like little brother. Michigan's going to pound him. But I also can um, point out last 14 years, 10 and 4. But then of course Michigan fans are going to be like, look at the. Record. 90 years. <laughs> look, look at look at the overall record, and I'm like, let's yeah. talk about like the last like twenty. And a lot of these people are like twenty, twenty one year olds that they probably don't don't really remember when Michigan really won anything. Which MSU really hasn't won anything other than Big Ten championships. Like MSU hasn't won a national championship or even came close since the sixties. And Michigan's yeah. about the same. Yeah, it's the truth. I mean, Michigan hasn't won the Big Ten since two thousand four. So. But, um, no, I, I think that on the little brother topic, I think that it really only serves to benefit Michigan State because it's just adding fuel to the fire. It's just locker room material. It's just chalkboard material. It's, it only – it obviously is the thing that lights the fire under the program. It's essentially the rallying call of the program. So if you want to keep sticking your finger in that eye over and over again, obviously it seems like since that has been said in 2007 and the 14 years that have followed – like you said, it's 10 and 4. And it, there's clearly been one program in that time period that's been superior to the other, and it's not the one that's saying little brother. Yeah. And if you look at the let's if you look at the history like of MSU, if you ever look at when both teams have been good, which hasn't I think hasn't been very many times. No. Maybe like 15, 20 times, and like it's like probably like 150 years. Yeah. If you look at it. MSU has the majority of those wins when both mm. teams are good. And now I'm not saying that MSU is better because look at the history. I think Michigan's up by like 40. Like 30 or 40, yeah. 30 or 40 games. Yep. And like I understand that, but let's talk about right now. Yeah, what have you done for me lately? Yeah, like I've been alive. I'm 23. I almost get – I don't know – what the overall spread was in, in like those nine years. Mm-hmm. But if I have to guess, I've probably seen either more MSU wins in my lifetime or probably about 500. Yeah. No, I agree with that. Yeah, it's... I am, I was, what, like a year, two years older than you, but I definitely remember the days of John L. Smith pre-D'Antonio and that it was basically going into Michigan games just being hopeful, like hoping... That you can just, you know, make something happen. Hopefully they make a bunch of mistakes. So, you know, one team would go on the field expecting to win and the other team would go on the field hoping to win. 
And then at post-2007, which that was really the first time in you know, my young life that I'd really seen a Michigan State team that had not just been competitive but really gone toe-to-toe with the U of M roster. Um, you know, and it was, it was also at a time where D'Antonio didn't have his guys yet. It was John L. Smith's guys who had been pretty historically mediocre, a lot of mistakes, and he had completely changed the identity of the program in one year. And then there was the Mike Hart little brother thing afterwards, which essentially became the identity that the program was built around. That was when you'd see all the stuff like chip on the shoulder, playing pissed off, Spartan dogs. Like that was what it was. It was the identity of the program was nobody respects us. Michigan doesn't think that we're anything. Ohio State's like the big dog of the conference and they overlook us. We never get the recruits, but we're just going to play the hardest. We're going to work the hardest. We're going to make everything a war. Like that's what they were. Um, And frankly, that's what they have to do. But, they keep making the same mistake, they being Michigan, in at least in the public eye, trying to make it appear that they're overlooking Michigan State. That it's not that much of a rivalry, um, that the real rivalry is just with Ohio State. I mean, it, it only – like you're overlooking a very important game on your schedule every year, or at least you're making it seem that way, which is only fueling the fire more for that team and increasing the chances that you lose the game. So I hope as a Michigan State fan – that they say little brother for the next century. I hope it yeah. never stops. Yeah, exactly. And um, if you want to actually talk about a rivalry, one rivalry that they focus on isn't even a rivalry in itself yeah. just because Michigan has done absolutely nothing against Ohio State in so long. But I think something that we that both as MSU fans I think we can agree on is Michigan's roster probably more talented than MSU. Oh, always this. It's always more talented. Um, Harbaugh has recruited better than MSU. Like, there's absolutely no reason why MSU should be 10-4. and 4. Now, I know there's going to be, like, Michigan, Michigan fans complaining about the... Rich Rod, Brady Hope, those Rich, years. Rich Rod, Brady Hope, then you got the punt situation, mm-hmm. which I still find really funny. It's awesome. <laughs> but um, then the rain, rain back in, I think... Eight, 17, 18, 19, like, I think... Oh, yeah, the crazy rain game in the, the big crazy house. Rain yeah, when, yep. Um, John O'Corn. Yeah, and when um, Lewerke led them to a one. Yep. And then there's this year. You mm. got the refing situation. You got the fumble mm. overturned, which, looking back at it... A terrible call. It, it was Obje- a, objectively, it's a terrible it, call. It was a horrible call to overturn that. There, so there was the fumble, and then there was the no-call pass interference in the end zone, which, in my opinion, should have been a pass interference. But also, there's always those calls in big games yeah. that either go one way or they go the other way, and you can't make that the reason why you win or you lose. And you also can't leave the game in the official's hands. Yeah. I mean, that's my favorite college football quote ever is the Jimmy Johnson when he's coaching at Miami, and he's like, you know, you left it in the hands of the officials in Notre Dame, and that's why you lost. You shouldn't put yourself in that position to where that is that meaningful, right? You have a 30-14 to 14 lead in the middle of the third quarter. You put the brakes on. You went super conservative. You allow them to score twice and convert the two-point conversion twice. You fumble the ball two times. You settle for field goals. Like You just you do the things that you can't do to close out good teams down the stretch, yeah. especially on the road. So though the officiating, I think, definitely played a role, and it always plays a role, a lot of that blame and the, needs to be diverted back to Michigan because they, they didn't play to win. They played not to lose down the stretch, which yeah, is, again, exactly. going back to what I said earlier, seems to be a staple of Jim Harbaugh and a lot of the Michigan games. Yeah, and um, I know something that a lot of football, 
football coaches talk about is there's always these 10 to 12 plays in a game that will either determine if you win, if you lose. And you could, well, those two plays, the um, fumble that was overturned for Michigan, the pass interference, you could also talk about the pass interference on the pull down on that slant mm-hmm. that at the end of the game. You could talk about how that That should have been a PI, yeah. Um, you could also talk about MSU's fumble. Like they had, a, or Michigan's fumble, when MSU could have pick, picked it kicked up. Kicked out of bounds, Kicked yeah. it out of bounds. Yep. MSU should have got that. Um, the J.J. McCarthy fumble that gave MSU basically the... the fumble in the exchange, yeah. Yeah, but I honestly wouldn't blame J.J. on that. I wouldn't blame Harbaugh on that. Harbaugh had to put J.J. in there according to, like, rumors that he was... that. Mc- McNamara was in the tent getting mm-hmm. looked at, so a lot of people, a lot of Michigan flames, blamed him. Mm-hmm. I think JJ is going to be a great quarterback for Michigan. I think he's. Yeah. I think he is. I think he probably should have been. My personally, I think he has a higher, much higher ceiling mm-hmm. than McNamara, and I think he's going to lead Michigan to a lot of really good games. The question is, is. If Harbaugh loses to Ohio State, let's mm-hmm. say Harbaugh loses to Ohio State, lose to Penn State, you have three losses. Let's say you lose in the bowl game because I don't know why it always seems like Harbaugh loses in a bowl game for some reason, especially against Florida. Is Harbaugh going to be back? I don't think he is. I think he's done. Um, I think that of the Michigan fans that I've spoken to specifically about this topic, most of them are very over the Harbaugh situation. Uh, I talked to one guy that I've known for a long time, and he's a very big Michigan fan. And he said that two or three years ago, um, he decided that he was going to stop going to the big house to watch games. And then after Saturday, he's done watching games, period, until Harbaugh's gone. Like, he's just not going to watch anymore. Um, and I don't blame him or, or really anybody else that feels that way because they've been very good at smacking teams that they should smack. And they've been very mediocre and average in the games that they need to win. Um, and it seems like usually the way that you get it most seasons where they are a good team is that you're going to beat up on Rutgers, you're going to beat up on Indiana, you're going to beat up on Minnesota, um, and then you'll maybe get a win early against like a Wisconsin or a Penn State or a Notre Dame or something like that. And then for whatever reason in November down the stretch, you kind of fall apart. And then definitely in the bowl game, usually you don't perform up the way that you want. And that is, you know changing in, uh, assistance in and out. That's with uh, new rosters, different quarterback. That's with all, you know, all these. Are, the only constant in there is Harbaugh. And if your team's not finishing and your team's not winning the games that it needs to win, I mean, listen, 9-3 and three is cool, but they fired Floyd Carr for not beating Ohio State very early on. I mean, Lloyd Carr was Mr. win 9-10-11 games, compete for the Big Ten Championship every year. Yeah. Exactly. And they got rid of him. And, you know, they got rid of Rich Rod pretty early on for being an average, you know, coach. They... Ran Brady Hoke out of town, rightfully so, probably, because he didn't perform very well. But it seems like Harbaugh was kind of the last great hope, I think. At least in the mold that Michigan fans want. He's, yeah. the, he's the Michigan man. He played at U of M. He was coached by Bo Schembechler. He's everything Michigan. He's everything as a Michigan fan you want. He's everything. And I think that if he loses to Penn State, if he loses to Ohio State, and he loses the bowl game, or even if he just loses to Penn State, Ohio State, I think that you probably need to move on. And I think that you need to call up Campbell at Iowa State and Matt you need Campbell, to say, yeah. yeah, I think you need to call him up and say, how much money do you want? Because that guy, <clears throat> I, I think that guy's your best hope. 
And I think that also you need to just say stop with the whole Michigan man thing. I've never understood why that was a big deal. Just go get the best guy. I mean, you have the resources. Just go yep. get the best guy. And also, even at, let's say Michigan doesn't get the get the best guy. There's some hires in college sports, especially football, that you're like, why was he hired? Then a year or two later, like Mel Mel Tucker, um, head, uh, I forgot the head coach for Tennessee, mm-hmm. but Tennessee was an absolute joke in the SEC. Kentucky this year. Kentucky. Kentucky. You got good football coaches. It's definitely a lot more of a gamble to not get the top guy. But, like, if you got someone right now that you're like, I want to go get him. Like, I think Michigan should go for someone young. Mm-hmm. A young, or energetic recruiter. Like, I wouldn't... Now, he's not going to go, but, like, a PJ Fleck. Mm-hmm. Like, he just signed a seven-year extension to Minnesota, which yeah. good for him. I, I'm i a big fan of P.J. Fleck. Yeah. But, like, you need someone that will go recruit that kids want to play for, mm-hmm. which is the definition, which I think is Mel Tucker. Yes. Now, I'm not saying Michigan should go for Mel Tucker because Michigan needs to leave Mel Tucker alone so he stays in East Lansing. But <laughs> I also don't think he would ever go to Michigan no, anymore. No, that's a, that's a big, bold move. Um I think that another person to potentially look at, not that I think that he would do it, um, but I think that they should also offer the job to Luke Fickle. I don't think Fickle's going to do that because he obviously is an Ohio State guy. He's in Ohio. He can recruit the state of Ohio. And I think that when the Ohio State job eventually opens up, he probably wants the Ohio State job just for him. Um, and obviously that's not going to happen if you're coach at Michigan. Um, but no, they, they just need to find a new guy. You know what – you've seen the Harbaugh movie enough. You know what it is. Car- Harbaugh's ceiling is – you know, winning like 10 games, which is good, but he's probably not going to beat Ohio State, let alone with any consistency. Um, you're not going to be competing. Therefore, you're not going to be getting into the Big Ten Championship. You're not going to win Big Ten Championships, and you're not going to go to the playoff. So if that's Michigan's thing is we want to beat Ohio State, we want to win the Big Ten, we want to compete for national titles, he's not providing that. Exactly. So you need to shop elsewhere. See, either that needs to happen or Michigan fans – and the university needs to adjust what they want. Yes. Because I think that's the main difference between MSU and Michigan. If if you're a head coach for MSU, you get eight, nine, ten wins, like I said earlier. You do that consistency. You go to big bowl games every once in a while. MSU fans is going to be ecstatic. Mm-hmm. Just because we don't have that history and just because like we haven't... We haven't done very much since the mid sixties. Like yeah. we haven't, like we've gone to the college football playoff, got absolutely smacked by Alabama, <laughs> which ev- which I think everyone saw that. Everyone oh, saw that. Uh, Come, we won, we won the Rose Bowl against Stanford. Like these are like our big games. Yeah. For Michigan fans, their big games are competing for a national championship, yeah. and not saying you don't have the roster to do that because I honestly think Michigan has a roster to do that. I think Michigan's roster. Talent wise is pretty comparable. I think Ohio State's a li- little, probably a little better. Yeah, but are. I think Michigan's roster is a lot closer to Ohio State roster is yeah. than MSU as of as of right now. Mm-hmm. I think that'll probably. I hope that eventually changes. I think Tucker's doing. I think Tucker's going to evolve and make that roster better for MSU. Mm-hmm. But either if you're a Michigan fan, you're either going to have to temper down your expectations. 
and then be okay with Jim Harbaugh. Like, Harbaugh's going to get you nine, ten wins a year. Mm-hmm. If that was at MSU, I absolutely love that. But if you're not going to temper down your expectations just because of the history you've had, then Harbaugh's not your guy. Because yeah. Harbaugh, because MSU, because Michigan has not done that in so long. And it doesn't mean it's wrong. doesn't mean you want high expectations. I think every team wants high expectations. Like, I would love MSU to have expectations of competing for Big Ten Championship every year. Like, if MSU eventually gets to that level, great. But sometimes you have to lower your expectations a little bit and say, hey, you know what? It's okay. It's okay to have nine, ten wins, and then maybe every once in a while. Let's say you beat in Ohio State. Let's say you beat an MSU. Like, it's okay. Like, that win against Michigan was everything to MSU. Like, that yeah. was probably one of the biggest wins and probably the rivalry. Yeah. Like, like, let's say Michigan wins that game. You're in the driver's seat. All you have to do is beat Ohio State. And your college football player bound. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying MSU will do that, but MSU is in the driver's seat, and all they have to do is beat Purdue, which is tomorrow, which, not going to lie, I'm pretty nervous, which we can mm-hmm. talk about. We got Maryland. We got Ohio State, which I think is a very long shot. We beat Ohio State. And then yes. Penn State. But let's say you win two out of those games. Mm-hmm. Vegas had MSU winning 4.5 games this year. Mm-hmm. If MSU wins 10 games this year and go to the Rose Bowl, mayhem. If Michigan does that, good year. You didn't beat yeah. Ohio State. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I think that, especially with the Rose Bowl, you know, for Big Ten teams and Pac-12 teams, that's still a very big deal, like the Rose Bowl specifically. But, I mean, even if... Even if Michigan were to, to win all of their games but lose to Ohio State and not get the berth in the Big Ten Championship and go to, like, the Fiesta Bowl or the Orange Bowl, I think that that's looked at as a good year but not what you want. It's, it's a lot of what you want but not all of what you want. Yeah, exactly. Um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's tough to, um, just from a recruiting standpoint, going back to what you said, is that Ohio State obviously has the stranglehold on the Midwest when it comes to recruiting like the Big Ten areas, right? Yeah. Um, they also have the ability to recruit California, they recruit Texas, Florida, just because they're Georgia. a huge brand, Georgia, yeah. Michigan can kind of do that, and Michigan State can't. Michigan State can recruit like Ohio, Indiana, Michigan, they can mm-hmm. recruit much more locally. Yeah. The reason why, to backtrack a little bit, I think that Tucker would probably leave is because if you look at specifically going to LSU, you can recruit all of the Deep South, specifically Louisiana, and you can recruit Texas which means that he could pull all of the five stars, all the big name, all the future pro bowlers that he wanted, yeah. right? If you go to USC, you get the whole West Coast. You get all of it. And not only do you get the whole West Coast, you get to be in L.A., and you also get to play in the weakest of the Power Five conferences. Yeah. Where if you win out, you're more than likely going to get your playoff berth, but you're also, I mean, what, you got to beat Arizona State and, like, Oregon State? Oregon. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and Oregon. I mean, yeah, so, like, there are difficult games. But you're not going through a murderous row. You're not Alabama. Yeah. You're not Kentucky. Well, Kentucky's decent. You're Florida, not Al- Bama, Georgia, Ole Miss, like all yeah. of it. Yeah, you're not doing all of that. And you're not doing it in the Big Ten as well where you got to beat Michigan, Penn State, like Wisconsin every single year. Yeah. It's just not on the same level. So you could be West Coast living and enjoying your life and still get big-name recruits, still have a major brand that you're the head of in USC. Um, so I, I think it's very 
difficult if he is looking to continue to ascend as a coach and like the national view I think it's very tough because there is a, a definite ceiling that's put yeah. on you being a, the coach at MSU because it's not the program isn't on the same level yeah I think it all depends on how much risk Tucker is willing to take because if you go to those LSU if you go to USC you're again going to have those Michigan level expectations mm-hmm. you're going to need to get 10 11 wins and at MSU MSU fans already love you like MSU fans already love Tucker like they literally came up with a saying Tuck coming just for you like mm. unless Tucker pulls a John L. Smith <laughs> which I hope never happens because John L. Smith years were absolute dark years in MSU football history but um, if he if he continues in the right track, Tucker's going to be remembered at MSU. Does he stay? I don't know. It's tough because I think that when you are a hyper-competitive person and you are somebody who wants to win on the level that Mel Tucker wants to win, and like most people that are you know, coaching or playing at that level, I don't think that the expectations and the risk that's associated with needing to meet those expectations at big programs is a deterrent. I think that sure. it's something that you, you want. Because at the end of the day, though it's cool to win nine games and win the Outback Bowl, like that's commendable for most yeah. programs. I think that when you do operate at a high level and you are a high-level coach, that you want to go 15-0 and and you want to win the college football playoff. Yeah. And I think that it's unlikely that he's going to be able to do that at MSU. Now, I think he can be a 10-11 win coach on a consistent basis, which is cool. I think he can consistently beat like Michigan and Penn State. I don't know if he can get to the level where he consistently can beat Ohio State. Yeah, which is the whole thing because I think Tucker's here. I think Tucker, wherever he's going, he's there to win. Yes. He's there to win now. He's there to win championships. And Mm -hmm. can he do that at MSU? Absolutely, he could do that at MSU. But like you said, I think his better chance to win a championship Sooner, is that like a USC, LSU? And you also have to look at the SEC landscape as well. I mean, Saban's seventy. True. Like he's Takes he's only going to do this for so. Well, not even necessarily that. I mean, if you take the LSU job and you perform well over the next couple of years, I mean, as of right now, the consensus best team is Georgia, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it's it's Georgia. Then I think pretty much everybody has Bama at number two. Yeah. But. It's definitely possible that the Alabama dynasty and the stranglehold that they've had on the college football for as long as they have is starting to weaken a little bit. Now, do I think they're on, like, the verge of collapse? No. But I think that Saban's getting older, and I think that all good things eventually come to an end, and they might be beginning to end, Mm -hmm. which means that there's going to be this vacuum of power that opens up in the SEC. So if you are at the helm of a program like LSU, which is traditionally one of the major powers, not only in college football but for sure in the SEC – I think that it gives you the opportunity to start your own dynasty and potentially run college football for a while, which exactly. is obviously what all college football coaches want. Yeah. Mel Tucker is honestly going to have a big, big decision. Uh, if, I'm, if you're a MSU, I think you throw, I think you're like an open check where you're like, mm-hmm. if you're like, Mel, I will offer anything LSU offers you to mm-hmm. say. Because I th- MSU made a mistake with Nick Saban. MSU should have never let Nick Saban go. They let Nick Saban pretty much go. Now, was MSU where they are right now back then? Absolutely not. But you have at least two alumni that are worth, not, if not billions, 
We're talking like hundreds, hundreds of, millions. of millions. Like yeah. we got Matt. We got Matt. I think it's Shiva. That may not how you say. Um, he and then you have Dan Gilbert. Yeah. Like the owner of the Cavaliers. Like you got two people that would be more than willing to shell out millions on millions of dollars. And I'm not saying you make Mel Tucker the um, uh, most expensive coach or like highest. Well, here's the thing. I think that LSU would I think make it, him the most expensive coach. I think you're going – because I think Nick Saban mm-hmm. is it. I think Saban's like it nine. Might, it might be somebody else, but yeah. it, it's, it's – Saban's making yeah. about $9 million. And yeah. Tucker's making about five point five, and one thing I didn't, one thing I learned, Tucker's buyout is only like two point five million, mm-hmm. which isn't, isn't a heck of a lot. No, like I know Harbaugh is lower, lower than that, but like I well, thought, they restructured his deal to make him lower than that, so yeah. they can't buy him out. Yeah, but I thought um, Tucker's was like four or five million, but it's two point five million, which if if you ask any. Like, if you ask any person, and they're like, it's $2.5 million a lot, they're like, <laughs> yes. yes. But if you ask for a college, if you ask for a D1 head coach, I especially in the Big Ten, $2.5 million is nothing. No, no, yeah, I would agree. And it, to be honest, I think a lot of those institutions, um, you know, a couple million dollars is not that much. I, I think that that's something that you can definitely make work, um, especially when it's something you feel strongly about. Um, I mean, they're money printing institutions. Yeah. Especially when you combine the sports and tuition and everything. And but, the uh, NCAA. And the NCAA, yes. So, but anyway, I'm probably going to have to wrap because I got a, a dinner date I got to make. You got with, a dinner date? With a lady. We're going to Texas Roadhouse. Nice. But, Love it. Great food. Great food. Got the rolls and the cinnamon butter. But you can't have those because you're gluten. Yeah, sadly. Celiac. Um, yeah, but. <laughs> Yeah, thank you for coming on. MSU plays tomorrow against Purdue. Should be a good game. MSU basketball plays number three Kansas next Tuesday. Should it'll be interesting to see how that goes, especially because we played watched the exhibition game yesterday. I think MSU looked decent. Didn't think they looked great. That looks alright. Yeah. But um, yeah. So I appreciate you coming on. Glad you could make it to my podcast. I know I yeah. made it to yours. I'm um, shout out, shout out. Cole's podcast yeah, side, side, of, side of Slaw with Cole Williams that's me yeah so if you want to um, listen to a great podcast a funny great podcast go and listen to his podcast it's uh, you can tune in on my episode um, I think it was the Zach Tice experience Zach Tice experience yep that so, was uh, what like a month or so ago that? yeah that was we were talking about like I think we're talking about like the season, like what we we're expecting. Yeah. Oh yeah, so it might have been pre. Yeah, it might have been preseason. It might have been two months ago. Yeah. If you if you were asked me if MSU would be a and at this time, actually I had MSU going eight and four. Just want to say that I had MSU losing like the last like three of the last five games, mm-hmm. but um, eight and oh. Pretty happy. Pretty, very happy. <laughs> very good. Very good day to be a Spartan very fan. Nice. And if you're a Michigan fan. Seven one's nothing to complain about. You're in the top ten of AP. You're in the top ten of the college football playoff. Oh, yeah. You're still you're still fighting for something. Like if you go out and beat Ohio State, oh yeah, MSU loses to Ohio State, mayhem. And I want mayhem because the college football playoff needs to expand. But that's a whole different story. It'll be for another episode. Exactly. So, yeah. yeah. Well, thank you very much for having me, man. Had a good time, and uh, we'll yeah. do it again. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for. Um, 
coming on. And that is a wrap to episode three.